You mentioned earlier being at homecoming. You were telling me offline a great story about bringing your wife to campus. Yeah, so so we were there. It was it was after the football game, and we were just spending some time on campus. It was uncharacteristically a beautiful, sunny fall day in Syracuse. And we just walked in to the media center with JPZ um, in front of me and Citrus TV to the right. And I kind of just walked in and just stood there for a second. And my wife, who has been with me on the Syracuse campus before, and, and she knows my involvement with the student media stations, and, and she kind of gets it a little, <laughs> um, just saw something come over me. And it's just the feeling you get when you're kind of around it and in the room and, and talking to fellow alums and just being in that environment again, it all it all just comes rushing back. She saw it on your face, didn't she? She did. I'm usually a bit stoic. So this was a dead giveaway that something was going on. For half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. Hi, I'm John Jagay. What's been really cool about this podcast, among many things really, is that I've gotten to know so many people in our alumni association better. And that would include today's guest, who I may have been in the same room with, but we neither one of us can recall having a conversation with each other. And I'm excited to introduce him to you. And that is from the class of 2010, one of our many, many sports guys, David Resnick. Welcome to the podcast. Jag, I appreciate being here. Yeah, we could have been in the same room, but I don't think we knew it at the time. So glad to uh, share this virtual room with you now. Perfect. Well, I'm really glad you reached out about coming on the podcast so we can get to know you better. Let's start with your uh, Marvel origin story, where you grew up and how you found out about Syracuse and then the radio station. I'm a New York kid, grew up in uh, Westchester, just outside the city. And I think uh, Syracuse was always on my periphery uh, as a New York sports fan, as a college sports fan. I think it's kind of a part of the sports landscape, but not a serious part uh, because of the pro sports and and the following that way. My parents grew up in the city and they went to small city colleges. I don't have some origin story about growing up in a Syracuse onesie and always hoping to to become an orange myself. <laughs> um, and when it came time for college, I was a bit unsure of where I wanted to go or or what I wanted to do. I'm one of those kids that did the broadcasting thing in high school. We had a really great football team and a, and a basketball team where uh, future pros um, my first time in the Dome was back in fall of 2003 for New York State High School Football Championship. And I don't know if that planted a seed or not, but when it was time to think about colleges, um, I was aware of the Syracuse Broadcast Program, of course. And it was just one of those places where I considered going to and ultimately ended up there as both a broadcast journalism major and also uh, a management major at the time. In terms of finding the radio station, I just remember having a bunch of really great senior mentors that laid everything out for me mm. as I was trying to understand what my place in the student media landscape could be. And knowing what WAER presented, what JPZ presented, what Citrus TV presented, and listening through a lot of the other podcasts, I realized that I entered Syracuse at a time where the Cold War had really thawed. <laughs> and it was okay and acceptable, uh, and you weren't considered a traitor if you worked in multiple places. 
See, I was going to ask you that question, but I thought to myself, gosh, I've asked that question on too many episodes already, but you volunteered the answer. So which did you find first? I'll ask you that, JPZ or AER? They were all really at the same time for me. I, I remember being a first semester freshman and just going to all the general interest meetings and just trying to understand what each place had to offer. And when I started, I kind of had this mentality of just try everything and figure out what you like. You know, Citrus TV had the TV aspect, which was unique from the two radio stations. Sure. Uh, WAER had more of a sports legacy, but Z89 provided a more immediate opportunity and the talk side of things that I didn't know if I wanted to pursue, but I at least wanted to dabble with. So I kind of built this early portfolio of working at all three places to try to take advantage of what was unique of each place. So I did both the 5.30 a.m. WAR sportscast, but then I also did the writing for Z89 and showing up Friday nights for Friday night football and helping out where I could. So I started both simultaneously. And again, in an era where that was okay and you didn't <laughs> get side stairs. And so I really started both plus Citrus TV from day one. Okay, so you get there fall of 2006. You walk into JPZ. Who were some of the first people that made that first impression with you in station leadership or otherwise? Sure. So the sports director at the time was uh, Todd Robbins. Mm -hmm. He was uh, one of those Z89 diehards. He always talked about it as WJPZ. You know, there was never Z89 that came out of his mouth. He was such a formal guy in some respects, um, big personality, and really was the first person that showed the love of the station to me. And you could really tell that it was important to a lot of people just based off of his leadership and, and enthusiasm. And one of the ways that I started to kind of follow him was that he invited me to his uh, Saturday morning at 8 a.m. talk show, mm -hmm. Talk and Smack. It was him with a bunch of other people, Adam Schinder, Noah Levitt, um, Sal Manin. And I got to sit in and produce and take calls and cut highlights. And it was just another way to get involved and, and understand what the station was always about. There were juniors at the time that were just so super talented, like Steve Wanzik and others who, you know, invited people to tag along and, and see what they were doing in terms of interviewing people midweek or, or cutting packages or getting ready for a game. And so it was just a great environment to come in, you know, right away and get started and, and learn. So obviously that enthusiasm you mentioned is contagious and, you know, that legacy of teaching with JPZ. Who came in with you? Who were some of your contemporaries that you formed good relationships with over four years? Yeah. So that first semester, at the time, it, it seemed important, but now it's kind of like silly to think about like <laughs> who's first cleared or who's first on the air. And I guess the competition, friendly as it was, is good to keep you motivated. Uh, but some of the, the early people in the room, um, sports department wise, was Alex Silverman. Mm. You know, that's before he turned to the dark side and, and went to the new side of things. Before he took over the world, yeah. Yeah, humble beginnings in the sports department of, of Z89. Um, Andrew Afric was one of my early friends um, at Z89. He's somebody that did minor league baseball and IMG for a while before becoming a communication specialist. Andrew Allegretta, somebody else who's now the voice of the Vanderbilt Commodores after some other uh, stops in the college world. Um, Eric Elkin, who's been a, a longtime sports and news anchor. Uh, those were some of the first people like really early on, kind of the, the go-getters and the overachievers that walked in first semester uh, freshman year and, and wanted to get on air and wanted to get cleared as quickly as possible. All right. Uh, Two-part question. I'll let you answer whichever one you want first, which is, 
Tell me about what you did at the station and how you rose to the ranks and also significant moments in the station's history that you were present for. I'll let you take either one. Yeah, I'll do that in order. So I was heavily uh, involved with the sports department, both in, they weren't really siloed, but they were kind of considered separate um, in terms of both the the play-by-play coverage of high school football in the fall, women's basketball, college Syracuse in the winter, and women's lacrosse in the spring. Mm -hmm. And so we would do everything from top to bottom in terms of calling the games and producing it and being in studio and cutting highlights and writing blog posts and sending out audio snippets on the early stages of, of Twitter. Um, and then also on the talk side of things, um, where I'd be involved with, after Todd and uh, Noah and Adam had graduated, I was in position to work on the show the next year with uh, Tim Swartz, who became the sports director and somebody who's been very uh, prevalent in um, California coverage, including uh, Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, Sal Manin, who's back in Houston after sitting in Syracuse as a TV producer. Um, Zach Schoenbrunn would come aboard a long time contributor to the New York Times sports section. Um, and so I I would constantly do that show, ended up doing it with my cousins for a year. Alex Brewer was a producer at the time, uh, somebody who I just saw at Homecoming Weekend or in Central. And so really doing everything that I could with what the station had to offer, both in the, in the play-by-play sense um, and the talk sense. In terms of the pivotal moments, I've thought about where my years kind of lie in this linear history of, of Z89. And I appreciate all the study in the podcast and the show prep, by the way. Yeah, I mean, many hours of listening to your questions, Jag. I can't think of a curveball I can throw you at this point, but go ahead. Oh, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I, I don't know if there was a big seminal moment while we were there. And, and my lens is definitely, you know, through the sports department as compared to the station as a whole. I can't remember if we changed our tagline or our logo. But I, I do think that, especially from a sports department standpoint, we really acted as a bridge, I think, from what was built in terms of the things that we covered and the way that we did things into that new era where the manpower was much more because people could work in multiple places mm-hmm. and also just like guide the station into the place where it needed more room and it needed the renovation and everything that they were doing required more space. You know, our Friday night football coverage went to covering one game a week to covering two games full broadcasts and Mm. choosing two games at different starting times so that when one went to halftime, we could go to another game. It involved um, sending reporters out to four or five different places to get, you know, whip around coverage. And so it was both the combination of, I think, of emerging technologies and, and being able to do things more digitally and to cover more and also just a stronger desire to make it bigger and better. A big seminal moment, I think, was when Quentin Hillsman took over the women's basketball program. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that uh, gave us a post-game interview after every game, after stopping by with Brian Higgins and the professional station. It's a guy that gave us unfettered access, and it's somebody that came in um, preseason and did an hour-long in-studio preview show with us. Wow. So, you know, just kind of getting that feel of covering a team and getting, you know, just a certain amount of professional respect, I think, really drew the interest of the department to work harder and do more and, and think about ways that we could improve our coverage. And on a women's lacrosse perspective, I mean, we were their flagship. Yeah. We traveled with the team. We were embedded with them on trips. Um, if somebody wanted to listen to their march to the final four, they were tuning into us. And I think that gave us uh, a certain level of ownership over the coverage in a similar way um, that we felt in the fall where 
I always think there's this balance between learning as a student and experimenting and then also providing a service to the community. Yeah. And what we did for Friday Night Football not only made us better as professionals and broadcasters, but was a real service to the community and, and something that to this day I'm really, really proud of that I was a part of. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. So in looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've had quite a journey since Syracuse. Let's pivot to your time after Syracuse. Tell me about some of the things you've done in your career path since graduation. Yeah. So after all those different radio and TV producing talk, play-by-play, behind the scenes, um, I've followed a play-by-play path Mm -hmm. and a freelance path in that where I both work for companies that send me out to do games that they own, that they have the rights for, and also working for teams. Um, And it just so happens that I've found myself doing a a lot of basketball in the winter. Mm -hmm. That has been kind of where a lot of my opportunities have come from. Um, So I work um, in the G League. Um, I do Division One basketball for Iona, Rick Pitino's previous stop, Mm. and a lot of high school championship events uh, throughout the tri-state. Every year has been different. Some clients stay the same or some vendors stay the same. Some are different. There's been some great continuity in my career over the last decade. And there's always just new things that pop up that I'm sure a lot of the the listeners and a, a lot of the fellow contemporaries uh, can relate to. So you're based downstate, right? You're based in the city? Yeah. So I, I live in Manhattan and, and really cover everything in a, I don't know, 200 mile radius. <laughs> in terms of places that, that I've traveled throughout the, uh, you know, New York metropolitan tri-state. Is it the Westchester Knicks you've been with for a while? Yeah, so the Westchester Knicks uh, is the New York Knicks G League affiliate minor league team. They started back in the 2014-15 season. You know, I think people have goals or thoughts of, of teams they want to work for or places they want to be. And growing up and coming out of school, they didn't exist. So yeah. it was really hard to be aspirational, to be the the voice or to to be a broadcaster for a team that wasn't in existence. And I was, <laughs> I was really fortunate to get that opportunity, get that job. I was, had the right experience and the right age. And, you know, they were looking for, you know, I think somebody of my profile at the time. And that's led to other really great freelance opportunities with a production company that does their games. It's led to some um, national work for uh, ESPN's G League coverage was really a, a big springboard for me professionally. The life of a sports play-by-play man is hard. It's a little bit of a journeyman existence. You just mentioned 200-mile radius. It seems to me, as somebody who was a wannabe sportscaster at one point and then kind of gave up on the dream, like like half the people I've talked to on this podcast, seemingly, you got to really want it and really have a passion for it to stick it out and, and put all those miles on, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the freelance world has some positives and negatives. And and one of the negatives is not being quite sure when the next game or the next gig could be. It's um, doing two games in two different locations for two clients because you don't want to say no. Yeah. But that's also the fun of it. Uh, having something different to do most days, being open to to try, you know, new things and new endeavors because your schedule allows it. 
And so for a long time during the, the school year, September to, to June, I've worked as a play-by-play broadcaster. And then in the summer, um, in college, I was uh, in management at WAR and, and Citrus TV, you know, the, the exec staff. And I worked at an overnight summer camp in the summers at Kutcher Sports Academy. And I bring that up because one of the uh, earlier episodes included uh, Mitch Ryder, who um, talked about the early days at WJPZ and how he integrates his radio background into his camp Tawanda to this day. Um, And he's somebody on like the other side of my professional life that I've met and spoken to. And I ran into him right after his podcast had aired. And he was somebody that I knew a little bit, but had no idea of his Syracuse background and uh, recently actually visited his camp as part of a conference. Oh, that's awesome. And you could see the Syracuse banners all over his home and and areas. So that was a great uh, JPZ connection. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, yeah, you've got that connection. Now we have somebody from class of 79 and the class of 2010, both involved with camps in the summer. So it's a sports camp. Tell me a little bit about the camp you work at and what you're doing. Yeah, so it's a co-ed elective sports camp. And it's had a really long history with an association of uh, with the NBA. Um, it was the the site of the former uh, Maury Stokes game that used to uh, get NBA All-Stars and NBA Hall of Famers to gather once a summer in honor of uh, uh, Maury Stokes. It's a place where um, Kenny Albert went to, the famous sportscaster. Yep. It's a place where uh, Lindsey Gottlieb, who became the first you know college to pro assistant coach for the Cavaliers went to. It's just a, in some ways an incubator for, uh, for sports and people that love to play and people that love to be involved with it. There's so many examples of people going on to not only a career in their sport, but broadcasters and producers and, and coaches and otherwise. And I'm not so much in the radio game anymore. A lot of what I do play-by-play wise is more TV or streaming. Mm-hmm. But part of the ethos of our camp um, because we know that we have a bunch of sports lovers, is that we announce ball scores every morning. Huh. And it dawned on me this past summer that while I no longer have to do casts or write sports updates, I do actually write the copy for our director for the morning announcements. And so I caught myself in the moment thinking about, you know, where did I start this skill? Like, where have I previously written down ball scores or or looked for story angles? And I guess you know, ultimately, you know, the JPZ cast writing was helpful to me. I love that you are such a knowledgeable listener of this podcast because you're segueing me into my usual question so perfectly. So my next obvious question is, besides that, what other skills and lessons did you take with you from your time at Syracuse that you've applied throughout all these different things you're doing now, David? I didn't realize at the time how much my real life was going to mirror uh, what my professional life has become. When I was in college, I'm dealing with the academics, and then the responsibilities of these three different places that that I worked at. Mm. And you couldn't say like, I was late to my talk show because I was busy at Citrus TV, or (laughs) I didn't show up to my WAER game because I was busy, you know, working on a different assignment for Z89. Okay, I've got to jump in here for a second, because you talked about the Cold War having thawed. I would imagine if you went to JPZ or AER late because you were at the other place, that would have gone over like a fart in church. Well, I think it's, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it would have been one of those things where um, people taught me that you owe it to the people that you're working for in that moment to be sure that you're doing everything that you can to do that assignment to the best of your ability. And so 
it kind of just taught me in this professional life that, you know, I can't tell one client that I didn't produce the way that you expected me to or hired me to because I had this other thing going on yeah. or this other job. And I, I didn't quite realize or anticipate how much my professional freelance life would mirror essentially being this college freelancer Yeah, um, where I was working for all these different places and, and having these different professional responsibilities. Um, also, the relationships and just the people. The life of a freelancer can be lonely at times. Yeah. Not working in an office, not being in a newsroom, not being in the incubator that Syracuse University and, and the student stations are. So just being able to bounce ideas off of people and just to be in a place with other like-minded people. I learned later how valuable that was. And I have found that it might not be my current colleagues who I rely on for that feedback or advice. But a lot of times it's my college friends and colleagues that, you know, I end up bouncing things off of or talking through a situation or, or trying to learn from them. Because I think one of the great thing about the Z89 network is that any time that I've faced something in my career that was new to me, it wasn't new to somebody else. Yeah. And I was able to rely on a friend, a past colleague for that advice um, to, to help me through whatever situation I had at the moment. That's really good. Any uh, any names of folks you still stay in touch with, either that were classmates or other alumni that you haven't mentioned yet? Well, I reached out to you originally um, to thank you for what you were doing and, and just let you know that there was somebody else out there that was um, downloading and subscribing. and Which I really appreciate. So thank you. <laughs> you know, and just it really crystallized a lot of these kind of urban legends that you would be told <laughs> while you're, you know, in school. And the people that are telling you the story might have had it second or third hand. And it's a game of telephone. So the details are a little off. So to really learn and understand the history and where things came from and know that it's Howard Dederoff that started the Friday Night Football coverage and like all these different things has been a, a great listen, but also really educational. And it made me um, feel closer to the station. Um, you know, part of my motivation to then, you know, agreeing that this conversation was just to to highlight and spotlight the, the lineage of the sports department. Yeah. Even from my four years there, the type of people that I worked with and knowing that I was coming on, I just went through some old emails. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Gmail, and being a hoarder that I am. Just looking through different um, production sheets and seeing some of these names like John Chastrensky, who's made it huge in New York City talk radio and Danny Parkins, who does drive time talk radio in Chicago, and and Nick Wright, who's on you know Fox Sports, and Andrew Filippone, who's afternoon drive in Pittsburgh, Connor Orr, who writes for Sports Illustrated NFL, and Joel Gaudet, who is a longtime play by play guy of Ball State, uh, Matt Eholt, who works for the New York Post, and Paul Gallant, and Kevin Brown, and Mike Cousins, and just Alex Perlman, who's an ESPN guy too, and so. I hate naming names because inevitably you leave people out. But again, part of the motivation was just to spotlight, you know, the station as a whole has done a lot of really great things. And the station has, I think, a really maybe underground and not so vocal, you know, sports department that has accomplished a lot. And in that room at that time, even seeing another name, Bill Spaulding, who's now the voice of the New Jersey Devils, or Chris Lewis, who's, you know, doing NFL games for CBS this year, in addition to his college work. Um, I'm really proud to be part of that group and to have worked with these people and to see where their careers have taken them. You know, and I think a lot of times you see um, pictures of old like football staffs. Yeah. And there's like 30 of them. And then it's, they highlight each person to see where they've gone. 
And that's the way that I feel about the people that I was at college with and my colleagues, um, knowing just how many of them have gone on to great careers um, in the sports world, in part, you know, due to their experience and their time at JPZ. The present company included. I'm really glad to hear you say that because we joked at the top about the Cold War thawing between AER and JPZ. But internally, you know, throughout the history of JPZ, there have been ups and downs as far as where the sports department fit into the rest of the station. There were many times where sports and music butted heads over how much sports program was there going to be and such. So that's a piece of it. And I do feel like there have been times in the station's history where the sports department felt like the proverbial redheaded stepchild. I don't, is that is that PC? I don't know if I can say that anymore. But um, but I, I'm really glad that you reached out, and I'm really glad that you came on, and I'm really glad that you've run through this you know impressive Rolodex of JPZ sports people that you were uh, contemporaries with, because the JPZ sports department really does have an incredible legacy. And one of my goals with this podcast was to really highlight everyone I could in the podcast, be as inclusive as possible, whether that's gender, race, decade you graduated, what you did at the station. And I really want to make sure the sports department gets their due. So I do really appreciate you coming on and making such an effort to include so many of those names in the podcast today. Yeah. And I appreciate your openness with that. And even thinking to to 2014, I know you had Andrew uh, Scaglioni on and Mm -hmm. the behind the scenes texts that were going on with my friends, you know, rooting him on. And we had never, you know, we, we didn't know him, we didn't meet him, but we knew that it was just such a great opportunity for the students to be covering, you know, a team that was playing in the national championship game. Yeah. I know there's a lot of talk of, of text change and group chats and, you know, just feeling a part of it, even though we had nothing to do with it, I think is, is a great link and lineage um, that the station has really created. I've invoked this uh, many times and I probably will going forward to the first interview I did with Scott McFarlane. And he always said, that's my friend from school. Doesn't matter if you graduated in 72 or 22. Yet that's my friend from school. It really is a JPZ family. Before I let you go, I have to ask for any funny stories you have from your time at the station. You knew I was going to ask you this, right? Yeah, I, I think my, my friends from that time would, would say that I, I'm involved with no funny stories. And <laughs> I just remember the, the, the late nights. Yeah. I just remember the, the trips to Kimmel. You know, I, I just remember all the different things that we had to do about running an XLR cable to a site because somebody took it out of a kit when they shouldn't have <laughs> the Comrex that wouldn't work. And yep. strings that Alex Silverman pulled for us to be able to stay on South Campus during our sophomore year intercession so that we could call our first game together um, in the Dome, a uh, Syracuse-Siena women's basketball game. It's all those moments that we recall um, years later. And I don't really have one moment other than to say just the trips were always great. Yeah. Um, one thing that the sports department, I guess, had uniquely from news or from from music is that we traveled to games. Yeah. Um, and we had the opportunity to share time on the road and and to break bread and and to get off campus and make these long journeys that is 19, 20, 21 year olds that we probably should not have. Probably cars you probably shouldn't have, I'd imagine. No question. But it was in the pursuit of calling the game and getting the rep and being there for our coverage and taking pride in, in never missing a game. And when there was a will, there was a way. And even when there probably shouldn't have been one. <laughs> and so those you know experiences and the people that I was around, I certainly cherish very much. The sports road trips have come up, as you know, periodically throughout the podcast. But the way you just phrased that is perfect because it never clicked for me until right now, not having been a JPZ sports guy, that 
all the bonding time that we talked about at the station and off-campus parties and whatever decade you you were at school there, all the time and the lifelong friends you made and, and marriages have been formed there and so on and so forth. But sports had that extra layer of your road tripping to, you know, UMBC or, or you know, or, or, or Kentucky or Tennessee or wherever you're going. You're spending all that time in a car, in a hotel room, whatever, with these people. You're bonding with them even more than just living at the station practically and partying. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and kind of crystallized that for me. Yeah, we were we were fully in the Big East during my time in college. And so let's just say that the uh, short straw was the tandem that had to drive to Morgantown. Oh, that's right. That would have been the furthest trip for you in the Big East, right? We kind of, I think, had like a six hour rule. Okay. That anything within six hours we would drive to. And then um, if we needed to fly, figure out the one with four connections in, you know, sitting in the cargo underneath the plane so that, (laughs) you know, we'd be able to uh, afford it. Yeah, there you go. One last thing I want to ask you, something that was also striking to me about our conversation today is you referred to your clients, all these different outfits that you're broadcasting for. It struck me that you used the word clients. And we've heard a lot in the last few years about the gig economy and putting all these things together, whether you're, you know, driving an Uber or a Lyft or you're doing DoorDash or any of these things of people just kind of, and especially through COVID and since, but just cobbling different things together to make it all work. What advice would you give to somebody in the class of 2024 or beyond who wants to make a go at this and really wants to be a sportscaster and has to have a, probably a bunch of different gigs all put together to make it work? Or as you said, clients, what advice would you have for them? So the first thing that I was very surprised to learn is that cold emails work more than they should. Really? Because there's a proliferation in need and in streaming, and I think a proliferation in using different people to cover a number of events. So the days, uh, like they might have somebody that, that'll cover 80%, but then that person is, is trying to find other things also. Um, and there's this like hierarchy of, of, of scheduling um, that I think everybody kind of goes through in terms of what's their number one and their number two, et cetera. The second thing is, when you work in a town, and I think if you work in a specific region, it's amazing how quickly you get to meet people that know other people and everybody kind of knows each other. Mm. Um, I've been in the same general market for the last um, 12 years, and I can't take on a new assignment without knowing somebody who's on the production sheet or knowing somebody who knows somebody that I've worked with before. And so uh, I know it's been spoken a lot on this podcast just about the way that you carry yourself and you, and you treat people, but your reputation is is so huge. Yeah. Um, and so just kind of presenting yourself in a certain way and being known for the right things, I think that's supremely important as you're trying to, you know, build a schedule or build a career or build a, a calendar that's filled with games and assignments. And the other thing that I wish I, I knew while I was at school is to think about the other roles that are tangential to what you can do as a broadcaster. Okay. You might want to do seven days of play-by-play, but the college down the road might need a PA announcer. Okay. You know, that's something that, you know, you probably have the skills for or learn how to be a stat inputter or learn the different roles within an athletic department because the same ways that an SID needs help broadcasting the game, 
They probably also need help with the other roles that it takes to operate and run a game. Wow. And so it's not meant as a long-term play, but it's meant as a way to fill your schedule and meet new people. So not only do I think it's important to be in front of the camera, in front of the mic, or know how to produce or know how to cut highlights and be able to be versatile in that way, but also just to think about the different things that go on in a game and how your skills as a sports lover or as somebody who uses their voice can fill in on, on different roles that are needed for each game. That is great advice and an outstanding place to leave it. David Resnick from the class of 2010. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm so glad you were part of the podcast. It was a pleasure to lend my voice to this amazing project. And I wish you the best as, as you continue to chronicle the history of WJPZ. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.